0: Right now, I've got on the phone Mr. Albat. Good morning, Al.
1: Hey, good morning, Karen. Thanks for uh, you can call me Al. I <laughs> That's that for you. <laughs> song. So, yeah. And uh, Peter Noon was, uh, I was working at the Freeborn County Fair and he was uh, performing there. And um, I think uh, as Herman and the Hermits, I don't know, probably. If he, he was probably the only original one. Yeah, uh, a lot of folks referred to him as Peter No One because they had <laughs> no idea who he was. So oh it no! Was, yeah, it was. But he was—he was good. So it was fun <laughs> being uh, being there and getting to—I didn't get to really see him till uh, after the. Show I got to see him taking stuff down because I was working then. But did
0: he come he and was... ask you for your autograph then? Because you know everybody knows how bad I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. You know I, I I'm sure I probably told us the nicest guy I think I ever met as far as in a um, a famous musician kind of thing was Chubby Checker. He was just incredible. He uh, stood outside there and had his picture taken with. Uh, people, uh, selfies one after another after another, so finally I went up and just thanked him for being <laughs> such a nice guy, and he said, I have the world's greatest job, he said, uh, talking to nice people, so I, oh. uh, and I, you know, I I haven't met pretty much any of the other ones, so I, when I say he's the nicest, I have <laughs> little comparison, but he was just an exceptionally uh, fine man, I thought, so. It's, uh, you know, it, it was an unseasonably seasonable day, uh, a lot of rain, it it rained pitchforks and angleworms, we were in uh, New <laughs> Richland on Friday, my wife and I, for a celebration of Cinco de Mayo, and the power went out, and uh, we had all kinds of fun, and uh, just uh, in town I think they got three inches, and just outside of town they got four inches, so wow. like I say, it, it certainly did rain pitchforks and angle <laughs> worms. I always wondered what that was like, and uh, every year I learn. It's a uh The white-throated sparrows outside are just whistling up a storm now, and if you look in the books, it'll say they're probably whistling, oh, Canada, 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 or old Sam Peabody, Peabody. But here in uh, Minnesota, we all know they're saying old Sven Peterson Peterson. (laughs) It's uh, nice seeing them. I have a lot of uh, rose-breasted grosbeaks. I have red-headed woodpeckers, orchard orioles, Baltimore orioles, cat birds, house wrens, palm warblers, yellow warblers, um, white crown sparrows, Harris's sparrows. I just saw one out the window here it was next to a Lincoln sparrow. And the Lincoln sparrow was just uh, made a dwarf by that Harris's sparrow. It was dwarfed by it. It just so, so big. A Uran- Eurasian-collared dove uh, male is given that distinctive whoo song, so he 's trying to attract a mate here, and i can't really do this sound when they are excited or alarmed or right before they alight on something it 's kind of a blah. it's <laughs> a really attractive sound they make, and I regularly drive two and a half miles on a on a country road here that takes me everywhere before I turn onto another rural road. And in that two and a half miles, I typically see five American kestrels perched on utility wires. And the kestrel is North America's smallest falcon, about the size of a blue jay. And that's uh, two kestrels per mile. I think that's decent falcon mileage right now, because we just don't uh, see as many of the American kestrels. And again, they are the north america's smallest falcon a cooper's hawk hunted my yard for a little while and birds either flee or freeze in place like they're playing freeze tag and the first bird to return to the feeders is always the same species it's a chickadee it's the first one to come back without uh, without exception they're the first ones back and I'm listening to Canada geese somewhere here. I don't know exactly where they are. They're playing those, a so vuvuzelas. it sounds yeah. like. That they have a, yeah, it sounds like that's what they may, they may have found one somewhere, and they're playing that. I heard from Jerry Victoria. He has a, he's from Allendale. He has a ruby-crowned kinglet and an orchard oriole in his yard. Uh, Ruth Olson of Glenville saw House Friends on May 4th. Rita Garanson, who birds Parker's Woods down in uh, Mason City, said on May 3rd she had a yellow-crowned night heron, only four warbler species, palm, northern water thrush, yellow-rumped, and northern per- perula, apariula, perula, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, Hope Ann McKenzie uh, of Wasika sent a video of turkey vultures roosting along Loon Lake. Uh, Joan Anderson of Albert Lee, saw a pileated woodpecker. Oh, folks, I was uh, a friend died, Lemoyne Heidemann. Oh. Uh and it was to the visitation and you've probably all been to those. You know how they are. You just you try to remember who somebody was that you hadn't seen for a long time and you say, I think that's his cousin and that that sort of thing, because 'cause they've moved away and I talked to his wife quite a while and she's a sweetheart she was saying oh the growth speaks and orioles are back and she said you know when lemoyne was alive i always tell him when that happened and he would hurry to the window and we'd look at the birds together she said oh. and uh, uh, she said i'm gonna miss that and it gave me those uh, little hairs on my arms stood oh. up when she said that it was just uh, Jack Corman of Alden sent me a photo of a white-throated sparrow. Cindy Drill of North Mankato said the first male oriole at the jelly feeder on May 8th. A brown thrasher visited below my backyard feeder briefly, but my timing was right to see him. Shortly after, four sandhill cranes flew over as I walked across my front yard. I've heard rose grosbeaks somewhere nearby, but none has visited my yard. A pair of robins have deluded themselves into thinking. I do not know they are constructing a nest in the honeysuckle vine. I spotted another first of the year, a catbird stopping at the grape jelly. And despite my spending a couple of afternoon hours being vigilant, it was my husband who saw not one, but two male hummingbirds out the back window shortly after the storm moved through uh our buddy t j of Saint Peter's always great to it's great to hear from everyone and it's always great to hear from t j says, "Hey, Al, how about this one? If the oak is out before the ash, twill be a summer of rain and splash. Mm. If the ash is out before the oak, twill be a summer of fire and smoke. Anything to it you know i've I heard that years ago I had to look it up a friend who's a writer in England. And every so often, he has that little, his signature, and he'll put a little thing like this behind it, and he changes it all the time. And I had to look it up, and it's very similar, not quite word for word to this one, TJ, but it was very similar. And is it... Is there anything to it? I don't know. I I looked it up after I saw that. I saw maybe it's a UK thing, so I looked it up, and there's a lot of Irish connections there. Does it work here? I I don't think there's a connection, but I'm uh, willing to be wrong on this. So it's again, if the oak is out before the ash, they talk about the leaves will be a summer rain and splash if the ash is out before the oak it will be a summer of fire and smoke so if the oak trees leaf out before the ash it's going to be rainy and if the ash leaves out before the oak it's going to be dry so uh, jack may of mankato sent my wife a picture of a plant and he hmm. asked if uh, we could identify it it's kind of a bamboo-like plant i guess would be the best description and it's scouring rush horsetail and it's a native plant it has, oh gosh, I'll try to describe it, it's a rigid plant it has, uh, it's rough, it's hollow, it's vertical ridged it's jointed and segmented and again it's bamboo-like and it has dark green stems, you'll see it grown in road ditches a lot and they can be popped apart. I know when I was a kid, we called them popweed just because you could pop them apart. It's a tough character. It tolerates a great range of soil types. And it's it has unbranched stems, and they're rough and durable. It has a high silica content, and they were called scouring rushes because early pioneers used them to scrub pots and pans. Hmm. A uh, listener says uh, somebody was saying they were bothered by buffalo gnats. What are buffalo gnats? Yeah, buffalo gnats, we hear a lot about them because they bother bluebirds, and people spray vanilla into the bluebird boxes to discourage these guys. But you know, we've all heard about black flies, or we experienced black flies. They bite people and many animals. They've driven loons off nests. They can drive people to madness. only the females bite in their search for a meal of blood. Black flies are also called gnats, turkey gnats, white socks, or buffalo gnats. So buffalo gnats are black flies. There's 30 species of them in Minnesota. Repellents aren't always effective. They may provide some help for some. I've uh, found vanilla works fine for me, too. Uh, Black flies are found around... Oh, fast flowing rivers and streams and their larvae live in the water they anchor to rocks where they filter food from the current and they're most numerous in the Mississippi and Rum rivers with smaller numbers occurring in the Minnesota and Crow rivers and they're active from May to October and they have a number of different hatches each year and I remember being at a um, oh was it the uh, It was a softball tournament. I think I had a granddaughter play, and they had, like, state all-star softball things, and she played, and they just all but ate people alive. It it was just terrible. So we do get them here. We think of black flies being up north. We get them here, but we tend to call them buffalo gnats for some Mm -hmm. reason. I don't know how that started They probably brought down some buffalo one time. They're just... uh, What birds eat milo? I always think of a friend of mine named Milo Madsen, (laughs) and I just think, I don't think anything eats him. Uh, Do house sparrows, the same person asked. You know, on the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, they do these seed preference tests. They said that the western U.S. ground-feeding Stellar's Jays, Curve-billed Thrashers, and gambles Quails enjoy eating Milo. And in another study, house sparrows did not eat Milo or sorghum. I know you see a lot of things online that say they like it, but but cowbirds would eat it. So it kind of narrows us down to cowbirds here. Uh, I have, oh, once in a while, I get some seed and I put it out and I have some Milo in there. The house sparrows in my yard do not chow down on it. Uh, Milo resembles BBs, little BBs, mm-hmm. and... Um, Cowbirds eat them, so I guess if you want to feed cowbirds, you get milo, and otherwise you probably don't put put it in your feeders.
0: Well, isn't it just a cheap filler that a lot of seed company or companies do? Because I think it's very cheap thing, and so it looks kind of cool because it's a cool looking little seed, like a little radish seed almost. But it's a cheap filler, and uh, most of it around here just goes to waste. So uh, buy the more, pay a little more, and get something that just doesn't go to waste, and maybe it evens out.
1: Yep, it'll last longer, actually, the better seed, and it, yeah, it's, you know, we say, well, sorghum, that's, we know it's sorghum, that sounds like a good deal, but they just, nothing eats it, and uh, I I see cowbirds feeding on the ground here, I guess I hadn't been paying attention uh, what they were eating, but it sounds like they will eat milo, according to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, so. So uh, otherwise, maybe uh, rodents will eat it. I don't know if they're even crazy about it. So it's not much uh, that feeds on that stuff. So I, so if you look, you know, a lot of times when you get the bags, they'll have, uh, they'll be either a clear plastic or there'll be like a little clear plastic window on there that you can look in. And if you see a few milo, in, you know, it's fine. And, but if you see a, a <laughs> lot of it in there, you might want to move on to the next bag and see what's in there because it's, it it's just it's just kind of a waste in, in many ways, so sadly.
0: So, Al, there are a uh, lot of people that are texting in questions for you today. Can we sure. go through some of them now? Uh, I'm going to go in. That. First, uh, Cheryl from River Falls had a question for you. Why do eagles and turkey vultures stay near each other?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know what, you know, you look at turkey vultures, they look so big. They always look so big to me, but when you, if you put them on the scale, the doctor's scale, where you have to move that little thing, well, of course, they're all digital now, but they're about a the third the weight of a bald eagle, so they're a lot smaller than a bald eagle. So why would you want to hang with a bald eagle? You use the same mass transit. For one reason, so you're on, you travel on thermals, so you do those kind of circles. Eagles will travel those same thermals, so you're traveling with these people because it just, you're big birds, it makes it a lot easier. You don't have to burn much energy. Second reason is you're both scavengers. And we oh we always hate to think of bald eagles that way, but they are definitely scavengers, especially the younger ones who aren't very good at hunting or fishing. So they would be eating roadkill, uh, dead fish, uh, a deer that had been hit by a car that made it out into a farm field. They're eating the same kind of food. So they hang around and, may, you know, it would not put past a... I don't know this for a fact, if there's been any studies, but if you're a young bald eagle and you're hungry and you think, I am just terrible at this whole uh, finding food thing, (laughs) and uh, maybe I'll follow one of those guys, pointing at the uh, turkey vultures, maybe I'll just, I'll follow one of them, maybe they know where there's some food, and uh, bingo, all of a sudden the vulture take them right to some food, so that might be part of it too. The third is that a bald eagle will catch fish and they'll bring it up on shore and they'll eat part of it and they'll they'll leave some food. They don't always clean their plates, so there is some food there for the turkey vulture. So I think it'd be three things. They travel together. Uh, they eat the same things cuz they're scavengers and then the bald eagle might leave some food and if you uh if you've seen some of the bald eagle nests and around the bald eagle nests there's usually food and that they haven't eaten so that i th- i would think those would be the three reasons i don't know that they're close personal friends
0: <laughs> okay and then i got a a text from deb u and she says Remember, she was the one, I think, that asked about gourds, and she said, Mr. and Mrs. Wren are busily making their nest in the gourd. Man, they're persistent, especially with twigs that are too big for the door. It's been fun watching and hearing them. Their song is so loud and delightful.
1: Oh, Dab, that's so cool. I'm glad they're uh, they're taking advantage of your kindness in that gourd. I've watched the male wrens, and they will grab a stick and they try <laughs> to stick it in crossways instead of lengthways, and it's just the old thing. I, I cut it off four times, and it's still too short, kind of carpenter. And they just kind of figure it out. I figure they're young males that just uh, they don't quite grasp the whole process of putting sticks in there and sooner or later they figure out well if I stick it in this way it goes in that hole so it's a learning process for them they don't have how to do it videos to watch if they could just watch a video on YouTube they'd have that all figured out and it wouldn't be a problem but the males would just throw those sticks in there and there I have to say Deb I hope they'll nest in there and I'm sure they will but sometimes the male will just fill all these holes with sticks And the final choice of nesting spot is uh, Mrs. Wren. She will say, are you kidding me? We're not staying there. Where did you get those sticks? Those are the worst sticks I've ever seen. So they do move around, and she will be the final final, uh, decider on that.
0: And now I got a text from Jennifer with a picture, and I actually just emailed you the picture so you can see it. It's a horrible, horrible-looking picture of a bird that looks like something's on from some horror film that looks like a vulture. And there's actually a news story on it. It says, that's not a vulture. Effort to find eagle seen in frightful condition in Minnesota, the poor bird has been ravaged by sickness. And uh, this Aww. is this is the note from Jennifer. She says, hello, ma'am, please ask the bird guy about this doom doomed eagle he was spotted in northwestern minnesota a few weeks back and there was an effort to locate him but i have never heard if they found him she said please tell me that this is some regular sickness that affect that affects bald eagles and not the start of a zombie apocalypse i've been weary of all birds since seeing this bird's photo i'm fairly certain that he could see right into my soul with these his creepy eye and i'm not a fan thank you jennifer and i'll tell you what it does it looks i mean he looks like death warmed over this picture so if you google uh northwestern sick eagle you'll get the horrible picture
1: oh i'm looking at the photo here and yeah it's
0: uh sadly that
1: poor bird isn't long for the world i don't think and uh you know things get bald eagles just like things get us one of the big problems with bald eagles is uh lead poisoning oh. and uh a good share of them have some lead in their system and i know at the raptor center uh, a great proportion of the ones they take there have lead in their system mm. so uh but who knows what's all going on with this guy he uh, he probably has uh various things so he looks but well according to the
0: this news article it says they believe the bird to be a very sick 2 or 3 year old bald eagle and so they're saying it was told he was told by the Raptor Center at the University of Minnesota that the eagle is blind in one eye has some virus or pathogen that is causing it to lose its feathers and uh, they said the he said the eagle was sitting low in a tree for almost 24 hours before leaving on Thursday morning mm. this is a while back and uh, so Anyway, uh, the Raptor Center is eager to hear more sightings of the bird. So if you see it, you're supposed to call the Raptor Center. And this is up by Moorhead, so probably not around here.
1: No, the poor thing. Yeah, you can see a lot of white in the feathers, so it isn't uh, it isn't an adult eagle. So it has a lot of white on the wings and the breasts. And but yeah, you know, the poor thing.
0: Well, you mentioned the lead poisoning. How do they get the the lead?
1: There's. Uh, it used to be more so than it is now. Uh, lead was more available. And I don't know if that's really true either because, you know, the lead persists. So they can still find it. It uh, it doesn't go anywhere. So if there are uh, lead in uh, all lakes or uh, uh, grounds, they can still find it there. And uh, I know... They said, oh, I wish I could remember exactly, it was like a third of the the eagles that were in the raptor center had lead toxicity, so they had a problem with it, and it was like 90% of them had lead in there. Uh, it's correlated mainly anymore to deer hunting season. The eagles and other raptors are exposed to lead through the ingestion of gut piles on re- unrecovered deer contaminated with spent ammunition uh, over a boy what do they shoot here half a million deer or something it's incredible in the midwest not just in minnesota and lead based products are still the most common used ammunition and these lead core bullets they fragment in hundreds of pieces upon impact, and they've been found oh, what they tell me it wasn't like eighteen inches from the site of the wound they move that far. So then when eagles and other avian scavengers consume these gut piles left on the landscape, they ingest a potentially deadly meal. Mm-hmm. And even at very low levels of exposures, birds will show signs of toxicity, including gastrointestinal dysfunction, uh, neurological impairment. That's one I've seen the most of. And was interesting, they talked about depression in birds. Really? Uh, you know, we we don't think about oh. that. Cause, uh, and then they have seizures, uh, weakness, and, and then, of course, death. So it's a, it's a great problem. And there's a number of groups are uh, promoting other types of ammunition that does not have lead in them. Uh, there is a little bit of pushback on it, I think, because it uh, is a bit more expensive. But uh, I'm hoping, hoping something will happen. It's uh, it's a tough, tough disease. Lead is 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 a terrible thing if you're going to ingest it. So,
0: and then, but I, yeah. I, oh, I was going to say I've got another, I've got another text. Believe me, they're just they're just a lot of folks that are are curious about things. And this is from our good friend John in Newell. He says ant hills popped up in all at once in my yard. I saw a rainbow yesterday after the short rain. Walmart finally filled their potholes <laughs> reporting live from New Ulm this is news you can use John
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you John a lot of potholes this year it's been a good pothole season uh, yeah, the ant hills. It's really cool to see them. When I was a little kid, I I used to imagine what it would feel like to go down into an ant hill. Oh. I, I would guess it'd be it felt like a pretty tight squeeze to get <laughs> down into that ant hill. But I am always just fascinated by uh, ant hills or ants themselves, and always have been, and I expect I always will be. So uh, great to hear from you, and um, yeah, a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the potholes have some size to them. I was uh, kind of spoiled. Uh, I was in New Ulm yesterday, and I found a large one over there, John. I was just driving along, kind of minding my own business. The road was good, and then all of a sudden, kind of bang. I thought, what in the world? So I, I hope they make it maybe into an ice arena at one day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: See, Al, he up. he mentioned the ant and Tim, actually, Tim, our shy boy Tim from the Shuffle Function mentioned that to ye- me yesterday he said I've got these huge hills, and I just saw it on Facebook on the garden sites I've got these huge anthills what should I do and so I, I think they're wanting to know what they can do because they don't want them in their yard so what are your suggestions I've heard things about like sprinkling cinnamon on them and I don't know if that works or not but you know there's all kinds of folklore things what what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah and I know there are various I, I'm a rural country guy live out here in the middle of nowhere so i i don't care you know if the ants are out there i'm i'm happy with them if they as long as they don't get over you know, 10 feet high probably then i might do something i know uh, i had a cousin who told me he lived down in iowa and he would mix equal parts of vinegar and water and then he put a little drop So a few drops of liquid soap in there, because you always have to put liquid soap. And then he'd kind of rake open the ant nest, and then he'd pour in the mixture. And I guess a. The one thing I'd caution there, I think vinegar can kill vegetation, too. So if you're applying it to your lawn and you're kind of worried about your lawn, you might get rid of the ants, but then you'd have a bunch of dead grass. I know some people just put boiling water down in those. Uh, I know there's all kinds of boric acid. I don't know how safe some of those things are. And then, of course, there's uh, ant killers available at your your neighborhood hardware store but But do those harm other
0: insects so the the um ant killer that's what my concern would be if there's other good insects
1: yeah i would guess that boric acid i think is fairly tough stuff so that might get oh and and the ant killers too i i don't know enough about those uh, chemical ant killers to uh, know what they and uh, there's so many different kinds i know you can get dust powder uh, liquid the granules and they work like bait and the ants take it down carry it in the nest so it uh, it may not get to the queen and that's what you need to get rid of if you want to get rid of those so i think some of those chemical ant killers might kill off a lot of the troops but avoid the queen but uh, yeah, well, good luck, Tim. I, I don't know. If you don't like them, you know, bring them out here and let them go. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give them a home. How about
0: uh, you just get a big, like, giant disc and put a bunch of honey and stuff in, and then they'll all crawl on there, and then, then he can put it in the car and, and drive it out to you?
1: That'd be perfect. There you I'll, go. We'll be, I'll, I'll keep a light on. <laughs> okay. Hey. Thanks, everybody. Boy, it's great uh, hearing from you. Jennifer, thanks for caring about that bald eagle. I hope all good things happen. Uh, so thanks for sitting on the front porch. You all remember in a, in a Christmas story, Schwartz triple dog dared flick to stick his tongue to the school flagpole. Pool. I, I really knew no one who admitted to having a tongue stuck on a frozen flagpole until I was working in Hungary. What was I doing in Hungary? I was looking for hungry, hungry hippos, of course. Not really. I was field testing binoculars for Zeiss. And I'm not sure how he came to talk about that movie. We're sitting outside eating. And he admitted his goofy action happened for two reasons. He was a boy and not a smart one. And why did he tell me? He tells everyone, because if he doesn't, his wife will. And she was with him. So, (laughs) Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. I hope you have a grand day.
0: Well, Al, you know, before you go, Jack May sent us a picture for you to look at. It's a picture of a big white bird in the middle of a, a farm field. And he says, just sending pictures to you. I suspect Al Bat is coming on soon. Well, I hope he knows that you start at 10 o'clock, because this just came in. (laughs) Yesterday, there were two of these, the white birds. He says he thinks it's maybe a swan, and he says, and one mallard duck standing between them and uh, felt intimidated, I think. You think the ducks (laughs) were intimidated by the swans?
1: It, yeah, they sure, because they are huge. And uh, we were on Highway 14, probably somewhere, oh Eagle Lake in that area yesterday, and it was raining cats and dogs, and they, a lone swan was flying over, and they are just huge. So they, they dwarf Canada geese mm-hmm. that big. So it's very possible that that's what is. Probable, and that's what you're seeing, Jack. And great to hear from you. And they do nest here.
0: And you know what? Uh, at the Lake uh, Lake Washington, I've seen 25, 35 uh, swans sitting on the point. They've just been a ton of them lately. And uh, usually, it's the pelicans. It's the big white blobs, but they don't have the big, big giant um, beak things. So I assume they're swans, and they're they're pretty yep. big
1: and they're beautiful. They are big, long neck.
0: Yep, they're 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 very pretty. Anyhow, thanks, Al. It's always great to chat with you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, bye-bye.